This is a Federal News Network podcast. It may sound macabre, but natural disasters can be excellent federal contracting opportunities. Simply put, the government has to do many services and goods when areas are flooded or flattened. Here with how to go about it, federal contracting expert Larry Allen. And these are requirements that may pop up, but often, I guess, the government has pre-approved mechanisms in place. How do you go about this type of work? Tom, I think there are two ways to attack this type of work in the government market. One is the disaster preparation side. That is uh, making sure that your government customers know that your company has the logistics capabilities and products that can be either shipped quickly or pre-staged to be on site in the case of a natural disaster, national disaster. Uh, there are all kinds of flexibilities in federal government acquisition that allow not just federal organizations but state and local governments to buy uh, for disaster preparation. Uh, so, you know, if we're getting into a hurricane season or if we're going to get into a particularly bad winter weather season, you don't have to wait for those events to hit. You can work with your customers to stage products ahead of time and plan your supply line for when the problems do come. And, of course, the second phase is after there is an event, after there is something like a hurricane or a devastating tornado, uh, what type of uh, support is needed and how quickly can you get it to the place where it's required to be. So, uh, And here, again, it's a whole host of things, and it's kind of episodic. Certainly you can think that drinking water is going to be a common part of a lot of these situations, and and it is, but also things like electricity restoration, uh, basic medical care, uh, things of that nature, uh, batteries for flashlights, temporary housing. We've seen that requirement for particularly large problems. So there's a whole host of things that governments rely on from the private sector when you get into a disaster mitigation situation. And for that matter, probably IT, because restoration of that for a local government or local entity might also be part of the agenda. Well, certainly uh, it's not just restoration of IT, which is important, but that first-line critical restoration of local cellular service, uh, broadband, things that can get basic communications up and running, not just so that disaster relief uh, actions can be coordinated, but so that messages can be sent quickly to citizens to give them updates. Uh, A little bit easier to send those out along a text, for example, than if uh, you were trying to use an email account. A little bit easier to stand up a, a SMS system after a disaster than anything else. And don't forget, lots of blue tarp is often needed. But who are the agencies? (laughs) I mean, you think of FEMA, obviously, or the Army Corps of Engineers, but can this also work through other agencies, such as your GSA schedule? Oh, I think the GSA schedule certainly has a great role to play here, Tom. The schedules program has with it blanket cooperative purchasing authority for disaster relief and preparedness. Uh, In English, that means that state and local governments can buy from the schedules just as a federal customer would in support of any preparation or response 
that they might need to have to prepare their localities or states for a disaster. Uh, offers uh, easy ways to buy. One of the other things I really like about this, Tom, is that uh, if you're doing some strategic planning at the state, local, and federal level, having a common supply source like a GSA schedule can make sure that you've got interoperability, that you've got uh, people who are able to communicate more easily. Uh, it's a known entity, known delivery times, probably uh, uh, relied upon contractors would be similar uh, so that you have a more cohesive response. We're speaking with Larry Allen. He's managing partner at BDO. And with respect to, I want to change gears here for a minute because one of the other things I'm reading in the blog here is, I guess maybe it relates in some way, but that construction contracting is not all that different from information technology contracting. What's your take on that, and how does that work? Because it can't possibly be the same companies. Now, well, Tom, this actually came about from a discussion I was having in with a colleague who is in the construction industry. And while there are certainly some differences uh, in terms of who's in charge in a certain project, there are an awful lot of similarities. Maybe the titles aren't the same, but things like planning ahead of time, making sure that you've got a good, not just a good acquisition, but a good implementation plan, uh, making sure that you've got a, an independent third-party program manager, uh, someone that can uh, be responsive to both uh, in a construction scenario, building owners, but also the company providing the building services. Uh, in an IT realm, that uh, could be somebody like a FedSim and GSA that's an independent organization working together to bring contractors together with government customers, uh, somebody who is the overall program lead uh, who can anticipate problems and make good use of each part of the team. Because in both an IT solution and in construction, you're going to be dealing with multiple companies uh, small businesses, large businesses, some with substantial capabilities, some with niche capabilities. How do you manage all that? How do you make sure that everything is timed correctly to get a final solution? Uh, and how do you make sure that you know, you're handling disputes properly when they come up and change orders? Uh, these are both things that can come up in construction and IT. And the bottom line is you've got to have a good mechanism for uh, properly handling change orders. Otherwise, uh, your projects can be delayed. A contractor can go ahead and work on a piece of the project without realizing they might not get paid for it if all of the proper forms hadn't been signed. And that also, I guess, mitigates in favor of the fact that you really have to ride your customer on requirements and making sure the requirements are solidified. Otherwise, if they say, well, let's add a staircase here and can you make that atrium two stories, that you will be paid for that change and not that it's something they can just kind of make up as they go. Well, this is also related to something I've been talking to people about, Tom, and on this exact topic, and that is, look, in the government market, it's important to understand that only the contracting officer can sign that document changing the scope of the project. So whether it's IT or construction, professional services or anything else, 
It's not enough to have the contracting officer's representative sign it, not enough to have the program manager sign it. If you're a contractor and there's a change order, change of scope, where you're going to be putting more work in, before you do that work, make sure the contracting officer has signed off on the change. Otherwise, you may not get paid. So you better get that marble bathtub in there early. <laughs> and yeah, maybe make sure the contracting officer gets to use it first. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Larry Allen is managing partner at BDO. Thanks so much. Tom, I appreciate it, and I wish your listeners happy selling. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, Think twice before sending money through an app or online.